Welcome to Grace Fuller. And I'm Kenny. If you're uh, visiting with us or fairly new here, I'm one of our elder team, as was Gerald, who was up here. And Andy, throw your hand up, just to let you know. Andy and Ralph. Wait, where are we? There's Ralph and Scott up here. The five of us are our elder team here, uh, leading the rest of our leaders and the rest of you here at Grace. And, and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, we, we decided to, to do this in part to strengthen fellowship and, and regain a sense of we are one church and we love each other and we're in this together. And this morning struck me one little flaw in the plan here is that all of you people who are creatures of habit and you have your seat that you sit in. Some of you probably walked in and like, somebody's sitting in my seat. All right, so we have to uh, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave us. Find a, find a new seat. Then hopefully that pushed you, maybe a new friendship you met this morning because you didn't sit in the same chair. So uh, thank you. Um, we started in January uh, a series in First and Second Peter. We called Standing Firm in the True Grace of God. We didn't make that really great lineup. Peter actually uses it at the end of his letter. Uh, he says, this is what I'm writing, uh, that you might stand firm in the true grace of God. Uh, and we preached through First Peter, and we ended uh, right around the beginning of June, and we paused. Uh, and we took the summer um, to think about what we call the habits of grace. How do, we, how do we grow in Christ? This grace in which we stand? Um, what are the means by which God helps us to stand and grow in that grace? Things like being in the word and prayer and worship and how giving and serving and, and various things. If you've been around this summer, you know. Um, and we finished that up a couple weeks ago and we're coming back now uh, to part two of this series. We're coming to Second Peter. Um, and by the way, we, this morning in this service, our reading service, uh, we invited our elementary kids to stay in the whole service. I'm going to put you on the spot. If you're in elementary school, raise your hand. I want to know who's out there. Yes, hi, Gabriella. Yes, hi, back in the back row. I see that hand, Jack. Okay, I promise not to embarrass you more, but I am going to talk to you too. I'm not just talking to your moms and dads, okay? You're part of this service. We want you to hear uh, this morning. Um, but this is a reading service, which is a little bit unique if you've only been around Grace recently. This isn't something the Bible has a chapter and verse and says you must do this, but it's a way that, a custom that we have built into the way we preach at Grace. We primarily preach through books of the Bible uh, in an expository way, we, which means we read it, we explain it, and we, and we apply uh, that word to our lives. Um, uh, sometimes we do large books, sometimes small ones like Second Peter. But our tradition has been to, before we dive into a new book and start preaching section by section, to have a service where we read the whole book, or if it's a large book, we'll break it in chunks, but read it aloud. Um, this morning, we're going to read all of Second Peter, which actually isn't very long. It takes about 11 minutes if you read it out loud um, and you don't get distracted by, what does that mean? And um, 11 minutes. Um, uh, but uh, normally, the reading actually is the sermon. Normally, on those Sundays, we actually don't have a sermon per se, but we encourage you to listen to the Word of God read as you would listen to a sermon. A um, couple of things. Why we do these, in case you're thinking why. Uh, number one, Paul flat out told Timothy, First Peter, uh, First Timothy 4, uh, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourselves to that. For, at, at times, reading aloud the scriptures and sitting under hearing the, the simple word of God read. So that's one. We're, we're just trying to obey that and work that into our regular routine here at Grace. Um, but it's also because, and it's, I'm sure this is why Paul told Timothy this, that this, we believe the Bible is unique from any other book, that the Bible says it is a living word. That God's words are unique, that, that God didn't just say them and, and record these things way back then and now we read 
history. We are, but he also today by his spirit, he speaks to us today through these words. His spirit meets us here. His spirit, the Bible says, does things like guides us into truth and illuminates um, what it says about God and about Jesus and and his promises. Um, The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin as we hear his word read and we read it ourselves. And, And God speaks to us in a word of comfort by his promises to us that meet us in today's uh, fiercest droughts and storms like we sang about. And God's word brings us joy and just makes us enjoy him as we're confronted again with the glory of God and the scriptures and we hear him described and we hear him speak um, and we just simply say, you're holy or you're worthy. So we believe that God's word by itself, before we even say, now let's explain and make sure we understand and preach from it, that God's word is living and active and and can do this. Second Peter can do this in and of itself. In fact, think about Peter wrote this letter with the full intention that as churches would read it and listen to it, his intended effect would be brought about, right? So I wanna encourage you in a little bit as we get to the reading of second Peter to listen to it as the sermon, not think this part is the sermon, uh, so this morning, it takes about 11 minutes. So we're gonna have a sermon and reading, shorter sermon. But Second Peter is what we want us to really hear as the, the, center, as the sermon this morning. So I would encourage you to do that. So here's how we're gonna do this. I want us to take a few minutes to consider the opening two verses of Second uh, Peter and, and consider how, what in those opening two verses helps us listen better or more appropriately to this. Um, and then second, I want to point out three major themes. They're not all the only themes of Second Peter, but three uh, major themes that I think that the whole letter is about. Um, and kids in the room, did you get your handout? You got a special handout this morning, or even maybe junior hires, you got a special handout, or high school, biggest kids, like Josiah. Um, you can use that to, to follow a little bit what I'm saying even right now. Um, and look on one side of it, there's two boxes. You see those? You see that, Jack? You see that back there? Gabrielle, there's two boxes and they have questions. One is, write anything in this box that you hear Peter saying over and over again. As Daniel comes up and reads in a little bit, as you're listening, be listening to words and things that Peter keeps saying that. You think, he just said that already. Write those in there. Maybe talk about them with your parents later. Um, The other box on the other side is one we all need, not just kids, but adults as well. That box is, write anything you hear that makes you say, what? That confuses you. Who's Balaam? A donkey talk? What? What does that have to do with, with this? Just write things that you hear that make you say, I don't understand that. Maybe start by talking with your parents over lunch and they're gonna say, hold on, uh, we're gonna preach on that later, so hold your question. No, but so write those things down during the reading. It's okay to be listening with a, a pencil or a pen in your hand. So let's dive in. This little book is called Second Peter. Second Peter. Kids in the room, do you think that that means that there were two disciples named Peter and this book was written by the second Peter? You're shaking your head no, Gabriella. Why is this called second Peter? Second what? Do you know? No. Jack, do you know? It's by the same person. So the same Peter wrote a second what? Any other bigger kids in the room you can help me out? It's a book. What kind of book is it? Bigger kids in the room? It's a letter. So this book is actually a letter. This is the second letter that Peter wrote. And if you've written any letters, all good letters have a few common elements, right? Usually at the beginning of the letter, what do you write? 
dear so-and-so, that's the way we do it. We start by making sure you know who this is for, right? And then we usually say something along the lines of, you know, I wish you well, or I've been thinking about you. And, and, I, and then we'll usually say something about why I'm writing. You know, I was just writing to tell you what I did this summer and, and catch up with you. Or I was writing to ask you a question or whatever. And then usually for us, we end the letter by, by doing what? What do, we write at the end? what do you write at the end of a letter? From so-and-so, love and kisses, Jack to grandma, right? Or something like that, right? We sign off, although they probably knew who the letter was from already because they probably read the on the outside of the uh, envelope, right? So anyway, Peter has written this letter and he has some similar things in here. It's, it's a letter. And so we would expect that there's a greeting and he reminds us who it's from, which he does. And so I want us to look at the opening two verses here. He actually packs it all up front. He doesn't sign off at the end, love Peter, he actually tells us right up front who was writing it, but he's got a greeting. He, sa- he reminds them of some things about who he is writing this. He reminds us some things about who he's writing to, including us down the road. Uh, and he also um, reminds us right up front um, what he wa- some things he wants for us. He's writing this because there's some things that Peter wants us to experience and to know, and that's why he's written the letter. So let's just look at these, starting in verse 1. Peter, Simon Peter, sorry, let, wait, let me try it again. I'll make sure I'm reading this correctly. Simeon Peter, is that what yours says? Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's stop. So this letter is from Simeon Peter. Flip back a couple of pages to 1 Peter. It's interesting to look at both letters side by side because look at how he started 1 Peter. He didn't do it the exact same way. So we know he doesn't just have a standard way. He always starts every letter the same way. But there's something unique about the way he starts this letter that's different. First Peter, he just said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. But in this letter, he, he says, this is from Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus. Let's just think about those things for a minute. Two names and two titles. He uses two names. He uses Simeon, which is just the Hebrew form of Simon, the Greek name, but his name that his mom and dad gave him, his name that he had when Jesus first met him as a fisherman and called him to follow him, and he was going to make him fishers of men. But he also includes the name Peter. Who gave him that name? Jesus did, right? At the point when Peter finally got it and said, Jesus, You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. Jesus says to Peter, I wanna give you a new name. That's right, Peter, and God revealed that to you. And I wanna call you Peter, which means rock. And the reason is, Peter, I want to build my church starting with you and these other apostles on the foundation of you and these apostles, I will build my church. And Simon Peter, at the beginning of this, reminds us that the whole man is writing to us. Not just the Peter that was all transformed and bold, and, but this is also the Peter that was a coward at one point, right? Who was all big talk and bragged to Jesus and said, everyone might fall away from you, Jesus, but not me, I won't. And, and Jesus says, no, you will, actually. And then he did. So he's that Peter, but he's also the Peter that when Jesus raised from the dead and he saw him with his eyes, he was an eyewitness and Jesus forgave him and restored him, it changed everything. So first of all, I think that this reminds us of the whole Peter that's writing to us, all the dumb things he did and said and all of his mistakes and sins, but also the good work that God was doing in his life and continuing to do in his life all because of Jesus and his resurrection. So first and foremost, he's writing this letter to us. 
all right? And then he uses two titles. He says, Simeon Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ and an apostle of Jesus Christ. First of all, he says, I'm a servant of Jesus. When you say I'm a servant of someone, that means I don't see myself as the ultimate boss anymore. I've yielded my life to another person and I do what they say. I follow their lead. And Peter's reminding us up front, the person writing this letter to you, I am a servant of Jesus. And it made me think, what, um, what was Peter, ser- in particular, what was Peter serving Jesus and doing? And what, when did Jesus tell Peter what to do? And Peter would now be thinking, I'm your servant. I'm gonna do that. Well, when Jesus rose and came and met Peter again and forgave him and restored him, do you remember what Jesus said to Peter? A couple things. Yeah, he said, feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Watch over them, teach them, help them grow. He had even said before Peter denied him, he said, you're gonna deny me, but when you turn, in other words, when, when you come to your right mind and you come back to me, I want you to strengthen the brothers. And so Peter is writing this letter because he's been given orders to care for the precious flock of Jesus on his behalf. So that's encouraging. We're reading a letter from someone who really cares about us, that we're safe, that we're um, uh, kept from danger, that we're guided in the right paths. But then he also says, he's not just a humble servant of Jesus, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle means he is a representative. He comes with the authority of Jesus as a messenger and a spokesperson, an ambassador. Jesus said to Peter, you go with my authority. When you speak, I want people to not just dismiss that as you're just some guy, but Jesus is speaking through you, Peter. So he says this with humility, but right up front, he says, as you read this letter, I want you to listen to it as one who cares for you with the love and affection that your good shepherd does. And I'm an under shepherd, but also as one who has the authority. Kids in the room, what's the difference between going out in the backyard and telling your brother or sister, come wash your hands for dinner or coming out in the backyard and saying, dad told me to tell you, come in and wash your hands for dinner. Which one of those are you more likely to do? Which one? Number two, right? Dad said, right? Hopefully you would, they'd stop and go, oh, that's not just my sister saying that. My dad said that and she speaks on his behalf or he speaks and Peter is saying, I'm writing to you as an apostle of Jesus Christ so we would be foolish to ignore or dismiss or take lightly what Peter's about to say. All right, so that's who, he, who is writing this letter to us. Let's keep going. Second, he, he wants to remind us something about who we are that he's writing to. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who have obtained a faith equal, that's what Jesse was pointing to. That ought to make us say, really? That's incredible. He's an apostle. He was an eyewitness of Jesus and the resurrection. And Jesus said, I'm gonna build my whole church on you, Peter. And Peter then turns to us and say, if you are someone who have come to the same recognition I have that Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of the living God. And if you've turned from your sin and you've yielded your life to him, asking for forgiveness of sins, 
and counting his life as a ransom for your sin, that you are on an equal footing with Peter and Paul and John and all the apostles. It's not like the gold medal stand and then all the rest of you are down here on the bronze platform. No, equal standing with the apostles. And the reason that is, is because it has nothing to do with your credentials or your spiritual gifts or your talents. It's the second part, what he says. Equal standing by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what makes us equal. Because Jesus' sinless life and his death to cover the price of your sins, together, God counts that righteousness of Jesus as your righteousness. That's why we're of equal standing. That's at the heart of the gospel and what, makes, what it means to be a Christian is I've acknowledged my inability to live for God the righteous life I owe and another has done it in my place, Jesus. And based upon that, I can have a standing before God that's forgiven One last thing about that. It's the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's one of these little lines that reminds us Peter thinks and understands Jesus Christ is himself God. He is our Savior. He's our God. God became a man so that he could then rescue and save us from our sin and stand in the gap and bear our sin and take our place. This is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he wants to encourage you, just like Jesus gave Peter a new name and transformed his life, Uh, Jesus has given you a new name, child of God. And by his spirit, he wants to transform your life. So that's who he's writing to you. If that's you, if you like Peter, acknowledge Jesus as God and savior, he's writing to you here. And third, the uh, end of verse two, or the whole of verse two, here's one thing, a glimpse of what Peter wants for you. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Take those apart. Grace, may the kindness that God has for you, the goodness in his heart that he wants you to enjoy, not because you deserve it, but because Christ does, may your experience and knowledge of that multiply in your daily life. I want you to live each day more aware of the grace in which you stand through Jesus and I think which flows out of that, may peace be multiplied in your day-to-day life. May you live your life with a contentment and a rest and a peace that comes from, I am a child of God, I am an heir of the king, and I am a standing in his grace, and I always will. He wants that to be multiplied. And notice this, kids and adults, how is that gonna happen? What's gonna make grace and peace multiply? Well, it happens in the knowledge of God. Your brain is involved. Your heart is involved. It doesn't just automatically happen as you're sleeping and and not thinking about it. But in the knowledge of God, as it grows and intimacy with our God grows, that is how grace and peace multiplies. So we should expect in this letter to hear about knowledge, which we will, and knowledge increasing. So he's written this to fortify our knowledge of God. Okay, Last things I want to say here before Daniel reads the letter for us is this. Is, um, I've, I've been reading 2 Peter a lot this summer. You can read it at one sitting quite easily, so I've been doing that. And about a month ago, as I was reading it, um, I came to chapter 1, verse 19, and it just hit me. This mental picture, this visual metaphor that Peter uses here really is a, is a striking image for the whole letter. And I want to talk about three themes that I want us to listen for and how this picture reminds us of it. So let me read the verse, 19. Peter is saying, after he's just said that he was an eyewitness to the majesty of Jesus, when Jesus gave him a glimpse of his deity, he says this, 
we have something uh, more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And I asked Josh, who works in our office and makes these beautiful illustrations, I said, can you capture that in an image with these three things, the darkness, the dawn, and the lamp? So you see all those elements in there? These three themes we're gonna hear as we hear Second Peter read. First of all, the darkness. It's nighttime here, right? It's dark, you see the stars out, it looks cold, kind of gloomy, right? And the let, in this letter, the darkness um, is a great danger that Peter sees facing his church. We're gonna hear in his letter that Peter's pretty sure he's not gonna live much longer. He says, the Lord has revealed to me that my death is coming soon. And, G- and, and Peter sees this darkness out there ready to encroach upon his church, his sheep that he is to tend and loves and he wants to warn them. And it's false teaching, it's errors, it's lies about God. Listen to this from the beginning of chapter two. He says, false prophets arose among the people in the past, just as there will be among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. That means dangerous lies. Heresies are lies about God and they're destructive. They're not just you know, innocent um, errors. They're errors that have devastating consequences. So the darkness in this letter, chapter two is all about describing so that we might not be deceived by destructive lies. Kids, when it's dark outside, is it easy to see clearly or walk a straight path? No, when it's dark, it's hard, right? So, so this is the backdrop here in this letter. This is a sobering letter. He sees this coming. And so we're to be prepared. So get ready to hear a letter that's not warm and fuzzy. It's not trivial. It's not light. In fact, if you are someone for whom fire and brimstone language makes you uneasy and squeamish, and that's that part about God that kind of makes you embarrassed, kind of wish that wasn't in there, so we have to accept it, but I don't know, this letter is gonna make you uncomfortable especially in chapter two and near the end of three because in vivid detail, Peter is going to describe the end that will face all deceivers and all those who have been deceived if they don't come to the light and understand uh, what Jesus has done for them and be redeemed. And it's scary. So that's the first theme we need to notice. Peter wants us to be watchful and vigilant for the darkness of false teaching. And it just struck me, you know, how, how much more for us in the information age uh, are false destructive heresies hitting our ears through the radio and television and blogs and tweets and podcasts uh, and, and on and on. We're just saturated, uh, if, unless we sort of hole up from the internet with all kinds of these things. And so they don't even have to come from within among us, but from the large pool that we, of teachers that we accumulate to listen to in our lives. So let's be vigilant. Second thing in this picture is it's not just any particular time of the night. It's that time of night uh, just before the dawn. So it's the wee hours of the night. And and, and I said, Josh, I I don't want the sun to come up yet, but we need to know it's coming. And so the dawn is coming. And that's the second theme of this letter. We don't just have this great danger as a church that we need to be aware of, but we also have a great hope in it. And the the dawn in this letter, as you're gonna see, is the the day of judgment, the day Jesus returns and his righteous judge makes all things right. It's a day of reckoning. It struck me, you know, there's other 
books in the New Testament that talk about Jesus' return with more of the focus of, it's gonna be wonderful. You're, those you love who have died, they're gonna be raised from the grave, like 1 Thessalonians 5 says, and you'll be raised and you'll be with each other and Jesus forever comfort each other with that. And we should. But this letter, the focus of that dawning day is on Jesus is coming back with a sword and he is gonna make all things right. And he's gonna judge And one of two options can happen on that day. Other, you can either look forward to it eagerly because all of God's wrath for your sin has already landed on Jesus and atoned for your sin. But if not, the weight of God's wrath and his cup is gonna be poured out on you. So this dawn is throughout this letter. And he's saying to Christians, you don't need to be scared about that. In fact, I think he wants us to be encouraged to to an extent that uh, for the day of judgment, there will be a day where uh, a new heavens and earth where righteousness dwells. I was telling Gerald this morning, seeing all the World Trade Tower stuff in my newsfeed this morning and remembering how when that happened, all of a sudden Americans began to use the word evil more confidently. Before it's like, well, you know, you know it's, everything's kind of gray. And there were certain things all of a sudden where they're saying, that is evil. And no one's saying, you know, so whatever, if we find them, great. And if not, no, I mean, Bush and others are saying, we've got to track that down. That must be accounted for. That was not right. And the world is fully multiplied across the world, the evil that happens on this earth. If you, feel, if you tend to feel more embarrassed by the idea that D- Jesus is gonna be judged one day, you need to remind yourself of the extent of evil and the rightness of it being called to account. But that doesn't just remind you of the holy anger of God. That also then um, illuminates and, and exalts and magnifies the grace of God through Jesus that he would be willing first before Jesus comes as judge to come first as the judged and stand in your place and receive what you deserve. That's comforting for me to think that the Jesus who comes to judge is ultimately gonna be judging for re- refusing his grace in the first place. So that's the dawn. Jesus soon return. And in chapter three, we're gonna see people are gonna mock and say, you still believe in that? You really think that day's coming? He's not gonna come. And God's not gonna come with that power. And Peter says, yes, he will. And the third theme in this letter is the lamp. He says the lamp is the prophetic word that we would do well to pay attention to. He said, um, it's like this lamp shining in a dark place So here's Peter, he's holding this lamp out to us. And what is the lamp? It's the scriptures, right? It's everything that God has spoken to us through the prophets and then most clearly through Jesus himself. And then after Jesus' ascension, passed on to us by the apostles, the great and precious promises, it says in verse four, that he's granted us through which we become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world. You know, one thing you could do as you listen to 2 Peter is just highlight every time you say, there's the lamp, there's the lamp, there's the lamp. The lamp is the truth that you have, verse 12. The lamp is uh, what the apostles made known to you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus one day, verse 16. Uh, The lamp is men speaking from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, um, offering you prophetic word from God. 
Or in chapter three, the lamp is this, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. There's the whole body, everything that God has done to speak truth. That is what is to be our guide. We need a guide in the darkness as the dawn is coming. And last thing I wanna say, because we gotta hear the letter here, but he doesn't, when he says, uh, you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, that doesn't just tell us what we should pay attention to, but it tells us how we should pay attention to it, right? Pay attention to that prophetic word, the scriptures, the promises, the same way you would pay attention to a lamp if you were in a really dark place. In God's providence, at the end of this summer, we got to go to a really dark place. I have a picture for you. We got to go reconnect with the Grants and their kids, Ralph and Wendy and Ainsley and Liam and uh, Rafe uh, in Southern Utah where Betsy's family has a cabin. And we went there and they met us. And one of the days we went out to this place that I'd never been, Betsy grew up going to, these lava tubes. And there's these huge lava fields that just like, look like you're on Mars of black rock and stuff, cooled lava. And there's a spot where there's this massive hole and you can climb down into this and there's three of these tunnels that go off in three directions for hundreds of yards and then pop up like a gopher hole somewhere else. And people have done this and they've drawn little maps and you can go with headlamps and flashlights and you can go down there and some of them get so low that we were belly crawling like army crawl like this. My claustrophobia was not doing well. <laughs> All of them are just like, Elijah, who's three, is just like, no problem. Just just keep being a puppy. And he just kept doing this. But so here's us. Boys got their headlamps on. Everyone's got a flashlight in hand. You see the ceiling's getting low. Here's us down, way down deep in there. At one point, though, we had all the kids got close and we said, let's all turn our lights off just for a second to see how dark it is, right? A couple of kids, we won't name names, were like, no. (laughs) It wasn't Lily May. She was like, yes. So we all turn the lights off and it's like, you know, when you, if you ever had pitch black where that is pitch black. I mean, we sat there for about 30 seconds and everyone turned them on back on again and we continued. But um, we were crawling through this last one and we even went down one way that act, we realized that was the wrong way and we had to scoot back out and then go down the other way. But I tell you, every single one of us with our measly little lights, our attention was fixed on that light. And where was the path? Where was the path? Until we finally got to the point and you begin to see this faint light trickling down and we'd shut our light off and go, ah, there's the end. And we'd crawl out. And Peter says in this letter, you would do well to pay attention to this this prophetic word, this living word handed down to us through the apostles, even this letter, just like you would watch for that light with attentiveness and urgency and trust. So as we turn to 2 Peter here and hear Daniel read it for us, I want us to pay attention like that. We're not a culture that's used to listening to long things read out loud. Maybe you are, but a lot of us aren't. And so we need to be attentive. We need to pull ourselves back from distraction and attend to the word here. Um, uh, here's the way we're gonna do it. Daniel's gonna come up. He's gonna, we're gonna pause after each of the three chapters and give about 30 seconds for your brain to just digest a little bit what you heard before rushing on. Just stop maybe, pause, look back down at what we've read. Maybe stop for a minute and say, Lord, why do I need to hear that? What do I need to see here? And then Jesse's gonna uh, lead us in a, in a song of response uh, and then we'll move on to chapter two and do the same and then chapter three and we'll conclude with a final song together. But as we do, here's one last real quick story I came across. Um, 
Bible teacher, R.A. Torrey. So Torrey Honors uh, Institute at Biola was named after him. He was a Biola guy. This happened to him one day. A man named Dr. Congdon came up to him after he'd spoken, and he was complaining that he just gets nothing out of his personal Bible study. So here's how the dialogue went. He said, please, Dr. Torrey, tell me how to study so that it will mean something to me. Dr. Torrey replied, read it. He says, I do read it. He said, read it some more. How, he says, take some book and read it 12 times a day for a month. Torrey recommended 2 Peter. Dr. Cognon later came back and said, my wife and I read 2 Peter three or four times in the morning, two or three times at noon, and two or three times at dinner. Soon, I was talking 2 Peter to everyone I met. It seemed as though the stars in the heavens were singing the story of 2 Peter. I read 2 Peter on my knees, marking passages, teardrops mingling with the crayon colors. And I said to my wife, see how I've ruined this part of my Bible? And she said, yes, but as the pages have been getting black, your life has been getting white. I love that. Just simply through the reading of the scriptures. Doesn't mean we don't then preach and exhort from it, but simply the scriptures are the living word of God. Let's listen to it like this. And I, and I pray that, and we pray that they would have the similar effect on us, turning our life white, making it more like Jesus. Let me pray, and then I'm gonna have Daniel come up. Spirit, help us right now. You promise this, that you'll guide us into truth. You'll give us understanding. You'll convict our hearts in ways that are appropriate and that you will give us encouragement and multiply grace and peace to us as our knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus, is enlarged and made more accurately to fit who you really are. So would you do all of this here this morning and in the weeks to come as we preach through this letter? I pray for Daniel now as he reads it to us that we would be attending to it, not as Daniel's words, but as your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, 
brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this rare voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them, day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. 
bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters to which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For, speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, so that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately, deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water 
and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be, be, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.